0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Secondhand Stories. This is a place where I tell you stories. What kind? Well, histories, mysteries, and unbelievers now before we go forward uh, just a few things that i have to tell you very quickly uh, number one if you like these stories if you've seen previous episodes and you like the kind of stuff that's been done on this channel then um, don't forget to like and um, subscribe to the channel and also if you would like to support the work that is being done on this channel then you can always become a member of the channel members get to come for live recordings of every single episode of second hand stories and also will be getting very exclusive member benefits very soon so that's it now let's get started with the story The story I'm going to be telling you today is an unbelievable, incredible story that I found while I was reading this book called Nam Namak Nishan, which is the ultimate Indian Armed Forces quiz book. Now, as I was going through this book, I come across this one piece of trivia, and it was a piece of trivia about these three Indian prisoners of war who made this incredible daring escape, and it was such an intriguing bit of trivia that I started to look deeper into it, which brought me to this other book, which was Four Miles to Freedom. This is a book by Faith Johnston, and it is an unbelievable and very gripping account of this same escape. And that is the story that I'm going to be telling you today. And here is how it goes in february of 1972 wing commander ms bawa opens the times of india in it he finds a list of indian prisoners of war or pow's who were being held by pakistan now as he goes through the list Suddenly, one name catches his eye. This name is of Flight Lieutenant Dilip Parulkar. The reason he knows Dilip is because back in the day, Wing Commander M.S. Bava used to be Dilip Parulkar's commanding officer. He knows Dilip well, and he knows this about Dilip, that if he is caught as a prisoner of war, then Dilip is going to do everything in his power to try and escape. Now this fills MS Bava with a little bit of fear because he doesn't know what will happen if Dilip succeeds in escaping. It is testament to how well MS Bawa knew Dilip Parulkar that many, many, many miles away, in a prisoner of war camp in Pakistan, Dilip Parulkar was proving MS Bawa right. Because flight lieutenant Dilip Parulkar was indeed trying his best to escape this is his story <music> dilip parulkar was a prisoner of war because he had fought in the 1971 indo pak war now what was this war well It's a very rich and complex story in its own right, one that I will not be able to do any kind of justice to in this story. But to give you the briefest of brief overviews, it was basically this. The 1971 Indo-Pak War is also known as the Bangladesh Liberation War. It was from this war that the country of Bangladesh emerged. Now, what was the country of Bangladesh before this war? Well, to understand that, we have to go back to 1947. In 1947, the Indian subcontinent had been partitioned. It was divided into India and Pakistan. Now, Pakistan itself lay in two parts. There was West Pakistan carved out of Punjab and then there was East Pakistan, which was carved out of Bengal. Now, East Pakistan would go on to become Bangladesh. Now there were several reasons why East Pakistan fought for its liberation but chief amongst them was this. East Pakistanis always felt like they were culturally and linguistically very distinct from West Pakistan. They also felt like they weren't properly represented in the politics of Pakistan. This really came to a head in 1971 because in the elections of that year, A party from East Pakistan called the Awami League, headed by Sheikh Mujibur Rahman, wins a sweeping victory. It is to form the government of Pakistan, except the West Pakistanis do not accept the mandate. This leads to widespread protests within East Pakistan, and these protests are very violently shut down by the Pakistani military. The situation is chaotic, it's grim and eventually by December of 1971, India is drawn into this conflict and they would enter the war on 3rd December 1971 on 10th december 1971 flight lieutenant dilip parulkar gets into his plane and takes off along with his colleagues they have a mission and the mission is to bomb a target beyond enemy lines dilip vividly recalls his colleague bombing this target but everything after that seems to be a little fuzzy in his memory the next few moments seem to be like snapshots of moments in time here's what he recalls he remembers his plane being hit remembers having to eject from the plane he remembers that feeling it felt like being shot out from a gun he remembers landing and then He remembers an angry mob of people descending upon him. These were locals from Pakistan and when they saw an Indian pilot landing, they immediately pounced upon him. He remembers fists and feet flying into his face. It was a brutal beating. Thankfully for him, eventually the Pakistan military intervenes and he is captured by them. He is blindfolded and bound and put into a truck. As this truck trundles along, he remembers feeling the stinging of the cuts and bruises from the beating he's received. He also remembers very vividly feeling very cold in one foot. And when he looks down, he sees that one of his shoes has been yanked clean off. He is then taken to a cell. Now, this cell is very, very small. It's seven feet by eight feet. All it has is a charpai and a bulb that never goes off. He has to rest and sleep with this light constantly on. He's not given a fresh change of clothes, so the tattered clothes in which he was found are the ones that he is wearing throughout. He's kept in this solitary confinement and when he has to use the loo, he asks for help and an orderly comes, blindfolds him and takes him to the washroom. Now, periodically, he is taken out for interrogations. He is taken into this interrogation room where he is asked several questions by two Pakistani officers. One of them is the good cop who asks him questions nicely and then offers him tea periodically. The other is the bad cop and the bad cop abuses him and insults his country. But Dilip Parulkar thinks that this is all just an act he doesn't take any of this seriously. To give you an idea of how little he was taking this seriously, well when they asked him to draw a layout of the air force base from which he had come, he gave them the layout of the Santa Cruz domestic airport in Mumbai and thankfully his captors didn't know the difference. But he's kept in solitary confinement and it still is very taxing on the mind there is no news of what is happening outside he doesn't even know that the war had ended on 16th december 1971 ending in a decisive victory for india now on 25th december 1971 he's finally led out for something very different he's taken for a christmas party And this Christmas party would be held in the worst place possible. It is held in the same interrogation room where he was grilled, abused and insulted. Now it is at this party that he realizes that he is not alone in this prisoner of war camp. Along with him are 11 other Indian Air Force pilots. They meet at this party and they are extremely relieved to meet each other. Each of them has been kept in solitary confinement for all this time. That seeing other faces, seeing other countrymen lifts their spirits instantly. It's at this party that they also meet the camp commandant. He is the head of this camp and his name is Squadron Leader Usman Hamid. Now, squadron leader Usman Hamid is a middle-aged man of medium height and he seems to be very well-spoken, reasonable and just. As they get to know squadron leader Usman Hamid, the Indian prisoners of war, even though they were on opposite sides of the war, they have a respect and liking for squadron leader Usman Hamid. Now, soon after this Christmas party, things start improving at the camp. Here's what happens. Soon after this party, they find out that the second in command of this camp is a man called Master Warrant Officer Rizvi. And he provides them with new clothes, razors and other amenities for their well-being. They're also no longer kept in solitary confinement and they're allowed to mingle with each other in this walled courtyard of the camp. This is a huge psychological boost for all of them life at the camp starts falling into some kind of routine and rhythm here's what they would do to pass the time they would stroll in this walled courtyard they would chat with each other in the long and cold pindi nights they would light a fire and they would swap stories with each other they had a carom board which they would play on they had a chess board they would play competitive games to keep their spirits up and they were also provided books which they could read. It's during this time that Dilip's cell, which was cell number five, becomes known as the Indian Tea Club. You see, his cell was slightly bigger than the other cells. It had provisions for two char pies and tables and chairs. So a lot of the pilots used to congregate at cell number five and they would eventually begin having all their meals there as well. This provided a place where they would all get together and spend time and it was a huge source of relief and comfort in these very difficult days. It's around this time that Dilip notices something very interesting about his cell. He sees that his cell has a window and this window has bars but these bars are set into a wooden frame and he notices that this frame is rotting. What's more, he notices that the wall, the mortar around this window is also disintegrating. He realizes that he can chip this away. And if he does that, then he can pull this frame out and make an escape. Now, ever since he had been brought into the camp, Dilip's mind had been set on trying to escape. He believed that it was the duty of every prisoner of war to escape if they can and he was just looking for a way to do it. And as soon as he sees this rotting window frame and the chipped mortar around it, he realizes that finally he's got the right opportunity. Very slowly and very discreetly, he starts passing the word along to the other POWs. He tells them that he's going to try and make an escape and he's wondering if anyone else would like to join him. However, the response is not very favorable. None of the other prisoners of war want to join this escape because they believe it's too dangerous. Because the danger is not just getting out of the camp, it's getting to their country. And that is going to be very, very difficult. Because once you're out of the camp, you will not only be hunted by the military, but also the police and the general population of Pakistan who would not take kindly if they discovered that you're an Indian prisoner of war. Despite all these dangers and despite all these warnings, Dilip Parulkar is not having any of it. He has his heart set on escaping and he's going to do it come what may. Now, although the other prisoners of war are not joining him in his escape, Neither are they deterring him. In fact, they are very supportive. So what they would do is this. Every evening while the others spent their time outside and kept the guards busy, Dilip would enter his cell with either a knife or a spoon that he had used to eat food with and he would start chipping away at the plaster. Slowly, day by day, it was getting more and more eroded. Very soon, these bars would pop out of the wall. As he does this, he's getting closer and closer. But at the very last moment, Master Officer Rizvi eventually sees that the bars are in a very bad state and that the wall around the bars have been chipped away. Without saying anything to the prisoners of war, he decides to get it replastered. And so, Dilip sees that his one route to freedom has now been sealed back up. As he sees this, he realizes that he is back to square one. Although his initial plan of breaking out through the window has been foiled, flight Lieutenant Dilip Parulkar's spirits have not been dampened. He is now looking for a new way of escaping. And here's what he comes up with. His second plan is to dig a tunnel. He's going to start digging a tunnel which will go from underneath his cell, underneath the walls of this POW camp and will open out into freedom. Now he puts the word out about the second plan and even the second plan is met with very tepid response from the other pilots. None of them want to be a part of this one either. And so he decides to do it alone. But as the months start turning, as winter gives way to summer, the heat and the lack of information and the boredom of the camp finally breaks one prisoner of war. That person is Flight Lieutenant Malvinder Singh Grewal. Now, Malvinder Singh Grewal had become a pilot because he had once seen the blue IAF uniform that his uncle had. And after that, he had decided that he will become a pilot. His dad used to always say that Greval was a person who couldn't ride a bicycle without having an accident, but somehow he could fly a plane fearlessly and without incident. So Greval had been caught on 4th December 1971. He was amongst the first few prisoners of war to be captured by Pakistan. And finally, after all these months of being in the camp, his spirit had broken. He approaches Dilip Parulkar and he tells him that he is willing to help him and accompany him in escaping. However, he tells Dilip that this plan of digging a tunnel may not be the best idea. Grewal then reveals that his father used to be a magistrate and back in the day he had imprisoned two men. These men were kept in a cell that was not unlike the one that they were being held in and these two men had broken through the wall and made their escape into the night. And so, Grewal suggests that they do the same thing. Now having an accomplice helps. Dilip and Grewal begin looking for the suitable wall to break out from. And they figure out that the best wall to do it is in cell number 5. And so, Grewal moves into cell number 5. And every night, the two of them would do this. They would move one of the Char aside and crouch down And in the darkness, they would start chiseling at the wall. They would chisel with a knife, with a spoon, with any other implement they could find. They had to be extremely quiet because the guards used to patrol every night, all through the night, right on the other side of this wall. So very quietly, in the dark, they are trying to chisel past this wall slowly they start making a headway and they pull the plaster from the wall and they start pulling out the debris soon they reach the bricks that are laid into the wall and very slowly over time they're able to chisel past the bricks They keep all of this debris in small cardboard boxes that have been left in their cells and every morning they would put the charpai to cover up this part of the wall that they were working on and on the charpai they would place blankets which they would let fall onto the floor. They would also put all their chappals next to the charpai because the sweeper of the cell wouldn't bother picking up their chappals and would leave that area of the cell alone. Now, as they're working on this plan, they get a third accomplice. This person is Flight Lieutenant Harish Singhji, and. He had always wanted to be a part of this escape, but Dilip and Grewal had been slightly reluctant. Because you see, unlike Dilip and Grewal, Grewal was a very large and strong person and Dilip was just very determined. Harish Sihiji, however, was very different from both of them. He was slightly shorter in stature, he could not swim very well and he came from a princely family. So he had always been taught in English medium schools and so his Hindi was atrocious. And the two of them always felt that if they took Harish Sihiji along with them, then he would be a liability. Because A, he would not be able to keep up physically and B, the lack of Hindi might compromise the whole plan. However, Harish Sihiji was persistent. He was determined to be a part of this breakout and eventually his persistence and a little bit of fibbing helped him get in on this plan. Here's what he lied about. He basically told them that he had come first in survival training. This of course was not true, but there was no way for Dilip and Grewal to verify it. And they were suitably impressed, impressed enough to tell him to join the crew so now the three of them get to work Harish Taneji also comes up with an excuse and joins them in cell number five and every night the three of them would take turns to crawl underneath the charpai and to start chiseling at the wall finally after a long time they get to the final portion of it that final portion is the outer plaster of the wall Surprisingly, they find that although they had chiseled past their part of the wall down to the bricks and beyond the bricks, they found that this outer layer of plaster was incredibly thick and very resilient. Try as they might, no matter how much they beat it with their fists or tried with their feet, it just wouldn't break. So, Greval decides to improvise. They had been given a bat to play cricket with in the courtyard. Now he takes this bat, he attaches a sandal to it and makes a makeshift battering ram. And slowly, very slowly, he begins pummeling this plaster. And eventually the plaster crumbles and they break through to the other side. Now, it's the breakthrough that they've been waiting for and to prevent the people from the outside or from the inside to see the light passing through this hole, they stuff it with a dirty rag. Now, one night when they crouch down to work on breaking this plaster further, Dilip has crouched onto his hands and knees and he's about to pull the rag out from the hole that they have created. Now, as he's yanking at the rag, Suddenly, he feels someone pulling it from the other side. Dilip freezes in the dark of the night with Greval and Seiji around him. He doesn't know what to do. He holds on to this rag and he feels the pressure again. He feels as if a guard has found it and is now yanking it out to see what this rag is all about. Now dilip holds on and he yanks it and he sees that there is a tug of war going on and finally dilip decides he's going to release it so he lets go the rag zips out of the hole dilip very tentatively and cautiously puts his head to the ground and peeps out of the hole and sees that it isn't a guard that has pulled the rag it is that half grown calico cat He breathes a huge sigh of relief. He tells the other two what just happened and then they get back to work on breaking this plaster. Although the other prisoners of war weren't going to be escaping with them, that did not stop them from helping the three men in any way they could. The other prisoners of war began helping by collecting articles and items that they would use in their escape. One particular prisoner of war called flight Lieutenant Kamath. kamat he creates this makeshift compass for them the others put together knapsacks and they help talk through the plan that the three men have so the biggest thing that they had to talk about was which direction to head to were they to go towards india or towards afghanistan and eventually after a lot of debate they decided to head toward afghanistan the reason for that was very simple The Indian border would be heavily patrolled and guarded because of the war. It would be very difficult to get across it. In addition, there would be landmines all across the border. If you even got through that, you had to still convince the Indian side that you weren't Pakistani infiltrators but were actually prisoners of war. To do all of that would be very complicated. Now, although Afghanistan would be a further distance to travel, the border would still be easier to cross. It would be lightly patrolled and the chances of getting across it would be higher. In addition, Afghanistan was a country that was friendly with India. And so repatriation from there would not be extremely tough. And so it was decided that they would head to Afghanistan. And keeping all of this in mind, they begin the final touches on their plan. Dilip and Greval grow out their beards, they get their clothes readied for when they would escape. Dilip has put together a green kurta and salwar, Greval has a dress shirt and salwar. And C.G. was going to be in a dress shirt and pants. All three of them would have their canvas sneakers on. Finally, they had to come up with a story. A story that they would tell in case they were stopped and asked for it. The story they came up with was this. Dilip and Grewal were going to pose as two Pakistani Air Force men who had just gotten leave. And they were traveling the country along with their civilian friend who was harish Siheji and they would pass him off as a friend from overseas which would explain a lot of his lack of hindi this was the plan and they've chosen to escape on 12th august 1972 this night is a saturday night and the reason they've chosen this night is very deliberate because over their time in the camp they have noticed that sundays are usually very relaxed at the camp the guards aren't as alert and they're hoping that this will give them an advantage when they break out so on that night of 12th august 1972 they push the charpai aside and they prepare for their break out now it's august in pakistan so it's the monsoon time and at this particular hour at around midnight there is a strong gust of wind that is blowing through the camp. This wind is kicking up the dust and as the three of them crawl out from underneath this wall, they see that the guard who's right outside is lying on his charpai with his blanket over his head to protect himself from the dust that's been kicked up by this wind. Now they wait and soon the gust of wind becomes rain. And as the rain starts falling, the guard gets up. He quickly picks up his charpai and blanket and runs towards shelter. He then places his charpai, lays back on it and puts the blanket back over his head. Now the three men, they quickly make their way across. They dart past this guard who's so perilously close and they come to the wall of the POW camp. They look over the wall and they see that there is a large group of people who are streaming past and they realize that there is a theater that has just finished a movie and there are people streaming out of the theater. They wait for this large mass of people to pass and then they quickly climb over the fence and jump to freedom. Now as they jump to freedom on the other side of the prisoner of war camp, they know that they want to head in this one particular direction. They know this because they had sometimes been taken out of the prisoner of war camp for medical and dental checkups. And each time they were taken out, they had made a mental note of their surroundings for exactly this moment. So now they began heading away from the camp and they began making their way through the dark lanes of Rawalpindi. The night is growing and the rain is still coming down heavily. Now eventually after an hour of walking they get to this one junction. And at the junction they see that there is a bus standing there with its engine idling. A conductor tells them that this bus is headed to Peshawar this was the exact bus that they were looking for and the reason they were looking for it was because Dilip had had a conversation with one of the guards who worked at the camp this guard was a Pathan who came from Peshawar and in conversation he had revealed to Dilip that every time he visited his hometown he would take the bus to Peshawar from this very junction so they get onto the bus And as they get onto the bus, they see that the bus is crowded. There are several people on it. And everyone's eyes immediately lock onto these three men. Now, they don't know whether it's they who are conscious because they've just escaped from a prisoner of war camp or whether it was something about their appearance. The fact that their clothes were slightly too new and they were wearing canvas shoes that made them stand out from the local population, but whatever it was, they seemed to have all the eyes of the people of the bus on them. Nonetheless, they take their seats, they get their tickets, then the bus sets off. The bus would drive through the night and eventually at 6 in the morning, they reach Peshawar. Now at Peshawar, they stop and have tea and then they find out about the next steps of their journey. They've mapped this all out before. Now, they were heading to Afghanistan and the route they were going to take was this. From Peshawar, they would head to Jamrud and from Jamrud, they would head to a place called Landi Kotal. Now, Landi Kotal was pretty close to the border because from Landi Kotal, there was one last stop which was Landi Khana and then Afghanistan and freedom. They had already made their way to Peshawar and according to them they had made good time it was still going to be a while before everyone woke up at the pow camp and their disappearance would be noted they still had a few hours of a head start so now they begin to make their way to jamrud and the first thing they do is at Peshawar they find transportation to take them to this intersection where the Jamrud road would begin. And the transportation that they lock on is a Tonga. They negotiate a price, Grewal does this, he negotiates a price with the Tongawala and they set off. Now it's a 40 kilometer distance and throughout this distance they notice that the Tongawala is extremely inquisitive, he seems to ask them a lot of questions. And he's very probing, very curious. And no matter what they say, it feels to them as if the Tonga Wala isn't fully convinced. Nonetheless, he takes them to Jamrud Road and leaves them there. Now, it's over here that something happens. It's a small minor incident. What happens is that as they're getting off from the Tonga, Harish Senji hands over 5 rupees to the Tonga Wala. The Tonga Wala takes the money and then says, no change. At which point, Harish ji smiles and says, keep the change. This seems to pique the Tonga Wala's interest and he suddenly tells them, put your bags back in the Tonga. I'll take you the full distance. Now, whether it was the generosity of the money that Harish Seneji had left with him or whether he had caught on to something and he was suspicious, they couldn't tell. But they refused his offer and they take their bags out and begin walking on Jamrud road. Now, as they begin walking down Jamrud road, they begin realizing that there is a problem in their plan. The problem was this, Jamrud road was long, and there was no place to hide, no shelter. It was just a long barren stretch. They knew that if they kept walking, they would eventually be detected by somebody or the other. What's more, they could see that along this road, there were several villages and there was no way to skirt these villages, no way to get around them without being spotted. And if they were spotted, they realized that this was the worst place for that. Because As they had gotten further and further out from Peshawar, they had realized that the demographic of the people had started changing. They were now into the northwest frontier province of Pakistan. These were tribal areas which had their own laws. And they saw that most of the men in this area carried a gun with them. Each man had an ammunition belt that hung on their body. This was not a place to be spotted walking down a road without a very good reason. So, here's what they do next. As they're walking along the road, they come across a young boy. They ask the boy that where could we find the nearest bus stand? They're looking for a bus to head to Jamrud. The boy looks at them quizzically and he says, Well, you don't find a bus at a bus stand here. And then soon after that, a bus passes by and the kid just flags it down for them. The bus comes to a stop and the boy clambers up to the roof of the bus because the bus itself is completely packed. The three Indian pilots also follow the boy onto the top of the bus. They take their tickets and then they begin riding on the top of this bus. The bus passes along Jamrud road, they see a lot of the villages alongside this road and they pass through two checkpoints. At each checkpoint, all three of their hearts would simultaneously come to a stop. They would take a deep breath and they would hope that no one came up to ask them questions or to go through their knapsacks. Thankfully. They got through both checkpoints with ease and nothing happened. They were so grateful that they weren't walking along this road and that they had taken this bus and that they were so grateful that the boy had flagged this bus down for them. And eventually they reached the Jamrud. At Jamrud, they get help from another local who flags down a second bus for them and they clamber onto the roof of this bus too. And the bus starts making its way towards Landi Kotal. Now, on the roof of the second bus, the view is breathtaking. They are passing through the Khyber Pass and the bus makes its way through mountains and they pass through these gorges and they see that there are these large rock walls that tower on both sides of them. Eventually, the mountains retreat and they come to this large flat plateau. This plateau is ringed with mountains on every side. This is Landi Kotal. The bus reaches Landi Kotal at about 10 in the morning. The three of them get off the bus and they realize that Landi Kotal is packed with people. The reason it's so crowded is because Sunday is market day at Landi Kotal. Now, they make their way to a tea stall and they get their chai and posing as tourists, they very casually start asking for how to get to Landi Landikhana, of course, was the border town on the Afghan border. And strangely, they begin realizing that nobody at the tea stall at Landikotal seems to know where Landikhana is. Nobody has a clue, and they start playing this weird pass-in-the-parcel game with this information. Where one person would ask the person next to them, Where is Landikhana? and how do you get there? and that person would ask the person next to them, and so on and so forth. The information would keep passing on. Eventually, it's the person who's sixth in the chain who seems to have an idea about Landikhana. He tells the three of them that it's down this one particular road and it's only four miles away. Now, hearing this information, they thank the man and they try to figure out how they're going to get to it. Now, as they've been asking around, this information has reached the ears of a taxi driver. The driver walks up to them and tells them that he's willing to take them to Landikhana for 30 rupees but Grewal is a little wary he has noticed what happened with the Tongawala when they didn't haggle and they just handed over the money it seemed to raise suspicions and so this time round, he overcorrects he tells the cab driver that 30 rupees is too much for four miles they won't pay that money and saying that the three of them walk away from the taxi driver and this would be their first mistake. Their second mistake would happen soon after and this was it. So Dilip begins looking around and he notices that everyone in the area seems to be wearing a cotton cap. Now throughout their journey all the way from Rawalpindi to here they have noticed that they have always stood out. For some reason or the other, the local population always seemed to look at them with suspicion. And Dilip feels that if they go and buy these cotton caps, maybe they'll be able to blend in with the local population a bit more. And so he decides to head into the market and buy these caps. Now Harish Singhji tells him that he doesn't want one. And so Dilip heads out to buy two caps, one for him and one for Grewal. He leaves Greval and CG on the side of the road. Now he heads into the market, gets two caps and comes back. Now his cap fits him perfectly but Greywal's cap is slightly small and so he decides to go back and get a replacement. This would be the second mistake. When Dilip returns with the replaced cap, he sees that Greval and Seji have been swarmed by taxi drivers. News had quickly got around all over Landikotal that there were three passengers looking for a ride to Landikhana. And taxi drivers from all over had descended upon them. These men were now pushing and shoving, shouting and screaming over each other, hoping to get this ride. They were even offering better terms. One taxi driver said that he was willing to drive them for 25 rupees. But at this point, Greval starts haggling for even lesser amounts. It is at this point that suddenly a voice rings out from the back of the crowd a very clear voice that says do you want to go to Landi Khana? They turn around and they see that there is a large man with spectacles and a beard. Assuming that he is another driver, they say yes. At this point the man says why do you want to go to Landi Khana? Now Greval begins telling him their prepared story. He tells them that he and Dilip are two Pakistani airmen who are traveling the countryside along with their civilian friend Harish Seiji. At this point, the man asks them this question. He says, How do you know of Landi Khana? Do you know someone who lives there? Grewal says, Well, they saw it on a map and they thought they would like to see the place. They've heard good things about it. At this point, the man's eyes narrow and he says, Landi Khana is not on any map. Nobody even knows about it because it's been abandoned since the British left. Suddenly, he looks at them and he says, You are Bengalis who are trying to flee. And that's when they realize that Landi Khana had been a point for a lot of the Bengalis who were trapped in West Pakistan to try and escape through. This place had seen a lot of people fleeing and escaping and so the population had become suspicious of anyone who wasn't a local. Now at this point they begin blubbering and blabbering about how they are not Bengalis and that they are actually who they say they are which is Pakistani airmen with a civilian friend. But this man is having none of it. He says that he's going to take them to the Tehsildar. And the Tehsildar will get to the truth of the matter. And quickly he rustles up some men. It's not hard to find armed men in this area. And they are marched to the Tehsildar's office. The Tehsildar was the highest administrative post in this area. And they realized that the man with the glasses who had brought them here was the Tehsildar's clerk. As they're led into the office, they see the Tehsildar himself. He's a man who's leaning back in his chair. He wears a salwar and a kurta and in front of him is a large desk. The Tehsildar is briefed about the situation. He then looks at the three of them and begins grilling them afresh. He asks them who they are. Why they're here? And why don't they have any identification on them? The three of them now begin answering these questions by making up histories wholesale. They invent their personal history. They come up with their fake father's names. They invent professional information. But no matter how much they speak, no matter how much detail they give, the Thesildar remains unconvinced. In fact, the more they speak, the more suspicious the Taisildar gets. Eventually, at the end of hearing them out, he tells them that he has decided to put them in prison. He is going to keep them in custody until he can get to the truth of their identity, until he can find out who they truly are. It is at this moment that Dilip Parulkar realizes that they are at the end of the adventure. That they had gotten all the way from Ravalpindi all the way to Landi but now the game was over. He realizes that they are in deep trouble, in serious danger, because if they were put in prison and their true identities were revealed, there is no saying what could happen to them. They would be at the mercy of the guards in a small town like Landi These guards certainly wouldn't adhere to the Geneva Conventions. In fact, all three of them had fresh memories of the way that they had been beaten by the local population when they had ejected from their planes and landed on Pakistani soil. They knew that if they went to jail, their safety would not be guaranteed. And this guilt lay heavy on Dilip Parulkar because he realizes that this had been his idea if he hadn't spoken up and decided and been so determined to escape greval and cng wouldn't be in this spot to begin with he realizes that he has put their lives at risk and that now he has to do something to save them his mind is worrying it's in overdrive trying to figure out what to do next And it's just then that his eyes fall on the large desk in front of the Tehsildar. And suddenly he sees the telephone. And when he sees it, something clicks in his mind and he has an idea. It is at this moment that Dilip looks at the Tehsildar and very confidently tells him this. He says that we are indeed Pakistani airmen. And if you have any doubt, why don't you call up an airbase and verify this information. Now the way he says it is so confident. It is a bluff of course, but the Tehsildar doesn't know it. In fact, the Tehsildar buys it. He says, well, that's a good idea. And a phone goes out to the Peshawar airbase. Now this was all part of Dilip's plan. Dilip takes the phone and then asks the Peshawar airbase to connect him to a person. The person he wants to speak to is Usman Hamid, the same man who was their camp commandant. In fact, over time, Usman Hamid had moved on from being camp commandant to becoming the aide-de-camp to the Pakistani air chief himself. The call goes out to Usman Hamid, who is extremely confused as to why he is getting a call all the way from Landi Kotal. He picks up the phone and that's when he hears a familiar voice. He hears Dilip say, Sir, this is Corporal Philip, Philip Peters. Remember, sir, Dilip from Pindi? And when he says that, Usman Hamid immediately is able to, To link the voice to the person. And he recognizes him and he says, Dilip, is that you? Dilip says, yes, sir. And then he, through subterfuge, is able to tell Usman Hamid what's happened. He says that, well, the three of us got out to see the countryside. And we've been caught by the Tehsildar who's not believing us. Can you please tell him the truth? Now the phone is given back to the Tehsildar who is listening intently and three of them wait to find out what Usman Hamid will tell him. Finally, the Teisildar puts the phone down, he looks at them and he says, I knew it. You might be Pakistani airmen, but you are also wanted men. I'm going to keep you in custody till we find out what to do with you. The three of them are relieved because Usman Hamid had gone on with the lie. This was very important because now as Pakistani airmen, they wouldn't be treated so harshly. The three of them are taken to a lockup in Landikotal and when they were being patted down, their prisoner of war ID cards fell out. But by then, it was too late. The aide-de-camp to the Pakistani air chief himself had told the tehsildar that these three men were not to be harmed. They were kept in lockup. they heard the abuses and insults of the Taishildar when he found out that they were Indian POWs but there was nothing that he could do. Eventually a political agent is sent to Landi Kotal and he picks the three of them up and they are taken back all the way to Rawalpindi. They are brought back to the camp and that's when they find out what had happened at the camp in their absence. The camp had only found out about their escape when a phone call had come from Usman Hamid. Until 10 o'clock the next day, they had no idea that three people had escaped from the Rawalpindi POW camp. After, of course, they found out, every single person was searched in the camp, they were interrogated at length but none of the other Indian pilots gave up any information. They were subjected to a little worse treatment but they were okay with it. They were happy that they were able to do something to contribute to this great escape. They would eventually be kept in the camp for a few more months and then on 30th November, they would be taken out from the camp and they would be put on a train and taken to Wagah. Now at Waga, Wagah is the border between India and Pakistan, the gates were opened and they found out that they were going to be repatriated. On 1st December 1972, Almost a year after the war had begun, almost a year after most of the men had been captured, they were finally being brought back to their homeland. They made their way across Vaga border. It seemed as if a lot of them were dazed. They couldn't believe that this was really happening. And finally, after almost a year, they were standing on the soil of their home country. It was a year after the war had begun, but for three of the POWs, it was several months after when they really wanted to be home. Although this grand adventure, this epic breakout, this epic escape that the three of them did, although they couldn't... Finish it, although they got just to Landi Kotal, which was four miles to freedom, as Faith Johnston's book is titled. Although they got that close, I feel like this is still one of the greatest adventures because it talks about a facet of bravery which is less talked about, which is that oftentimes bravery lies purely in the attempt and not in the outcome. And for that reason this story captivated me, and I hope. It was of interest to you too. So that's it from this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, then please leave a like and a comment. Do let me know if there are other stories you would like me to cover. I would be more than happy to do them. Um, As usual, every single episode is shot in front of a live audience. If you too would like to be a part of these live recordings, all you have to do is become a member of the channel. Lastly, I do want to plug these two books again, Uh, in case you are interested in the armed forces, then do not miss out on Nam Namak Nishan. Uh, It's got a lot of trivia that is extremely interesting and it'll lead you down your own rabbit holes. And secondly, do check out Four Miles to Freedom because I promise you, this is a very small section of the story. The story is way bigger. It's riveting and you get to hear about all the other prisoners of war in the camp as well it's a outstanding book i do recommend it Uh, and if you like these books then you can also check out penguins youtube channel they put out one minute summaries of a lot of their books including these ones so you can check those out and that's about it thank you so much for watching this i hope you enjoyed it and until next time take care And bye-bye.